Like a Word. Welcome back to Weed Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. And John Rain of Smurshpod is our guest. Hello. Expert on all things James Bond cinematic. Where are your comic roots? Who inspired you to write funny stuff? Uh, again, it goes back to my dad, really. Like When I was growing up, he'd often play records. He had a massive record collection and a lot of it was comedy. So we'd have a lot of Round the Horn and Hancock's Half Hour and the Go- a lot of Goon Show. So it was that, but comedy was always the number one thing in our house. So if there was ever a comedy show, we'd always watch it, no matter what it was. And so we ended up, you know, watching The Young Ones Saturday Night, you know, Saturday Live when it was on over here. All sorts of things like that. So we just grew up basically being sort of comedy vampire. We just watched everything that was comedy. Mainly, primarily, what I'd say is where I get my, where I'm mainly influenced by things like um, Hancock's Half Hour Around the Horn. I love, and, and, you know, even things like Carry On films, just things like that. They're just, I just find them really funny and and all quintessentially british yeah interestingly mm. i think bond can only ever be british can't he oh I mean, absolutely there's been talked of australian and american actors and things but i i think it's it's just too british the one british franchise maybe apart from harry potter that just has to be british and doctor who so what you're saying you couldn't yeah, possibly yeah. imagine a james bond who wasn't british <clears throat> not thinking of pierce brosnan is he Irish? Ooh. Yes. But didn't he leave Ireland when he was very young and lived in London for a long time? Next you'll be saying the Duke of Wellington isn't Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you Brosnan. But Brosnan's got that weird... That's why he's got that weird accent, isn't it? Because he's not he's neither one nor the other. And when he actually does an Irish accent, like in the film Taffin... Or in The Long Good uh, Friday. No, he doesn't say anything in that, though, does he? Not, not much, I suppose. He, he, he kind of stares malevolently. That's his speedo through the talking in that one. But uh, when he does Taffin, where he has to be an Irishman, oh my God, it's not good. I can't imagine a Cornish Bond or, or a, a Somerset Bond. Right then, no. how are you doing then? How are you doing then, Mr Drax? You know, it just isn't going to work, does it? Well, that's why I like Timothy Dalton, because he's from, um, well, he's basically a scouser. And in The Living Daylights, he really tries to be very posh and well-spoken. And then in Licence to Kill, I think he just gives so less of a shit that every now and then he just lets the Scouse accent out. It's beautiful. He says things like, things are about to turn nasty, which is, you can't imagine any Bond saying that, but he does it beautifully. Goldfinger, eh? <laughs> John, are you living in the past? You like Bond, you like um, War of the Worlds, Hancock's Half Hour. Is Bond your bridge to the present day? I don't really, no, not necessarily. It's just something I really like. It's what? not the only thing I really like, is there anything current that's as good? Um, <laughs> I'm sure there is. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Exactly. But I, 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 I go to the cinema, well, I went to the cinema all the time before the world ended. And I, you know, I'm a big lover of film generally. It's, it's, it's my number one thing, it's, it's just film. What's the worst film book adaptation into a film that you've encountered? Well, that's a good question. Oh. Bonfire of the Vanities must be up there. I love that. I love that book, and and the film version was um, so. Apart from Bruce Willis, who was miscast, but he was the least badly miscast. It was absolutely awful. The thing is, I mean, there is, to some degree, I mean, you've always got to ha- have a little bit of flexibility when you translate something from a book to a film because they're different media. Sometimes you do have to change things. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that's been translated from from graphic novels and comics into films in recent years and some of the stuff 
just wouldn't translate from 2D to 3D properly, so you have to change the story. I mean, a lot of characters, Judge Dredd, the comic character. Now, in the in the comic, mm. Dredd is phenomenally two-dimensional. And and for, for 40, nearly 50 years, he's been this, oh, the law, slab of beef in a uniform, just going around dispensing justice. That's mm. fine in the comic, because the comic has got all these other characters going on around it, an entire city. But when it's a film, and you've got a central actor who's got to carry the plot along, they tried doing it with Stallone, and although the film looked great, I mean, they made the huge mistake there of actually making him take his helmet off. But the Carl Urban one isn't bad. I think if you could get the Carl Urban dread and put it in the Stallone Mega City one, I think you'd have a film. But yeah, I mean, dread can't be as one-dimensional in a film as he can, or, you know, as, as flat and as characterless in a film as he, as he can in a comic. That's always the problem. That's always the problem when translating from from a book where a lot of the stuff is happening in your head to something on the screen. And the other thing is, of course, you can, you can describe so much in a book. Yes. You, can, you, can, you, know, you can describe an entire person's thought process, everything about them, how they feel about where they are, in a wonderful couple of paragraphs. You've got to convey all that in a moment in a film where someone walks into a room. So of necessity, they do have to change. It just annoys me when they change the plots substantially when the original plot was so good. Getting back to Bond, where are you on the gadgets? Are they delightful or is it cheating? Bond's supposed to be macho, uber, mensch. And yet, most of the time, he kind of cheats because, aha, I have a magic trick to get me out of this situation. I don't have to use my intelligence or my physical prowess. I've got a gadget which just happened to suit the situation that I was going to be in later on in the film. What a happy coincidence. I really like them. Uh, I think that's what elevates him above normal people in that scenario, that he has got something up his sleeve every time. And it just so happens that Q has got a key into the future that he knows where these gadgets will come in handy later on. I love all that. I used to, I used to get the um, these books uh, that came out for to go along with the film, and it'd always be fun to go in there and it'll have a description by the guys who made the props and all the gadgets to explain exactly what they did, even though you saw them on screen for like five seconds. I've got my license to kill one in the bookcase behind me but um it's just you can just open it up and it'll say oh this signature gun in the film this is exactly how it works how it was built how it came up with the idea and i love all that it's it's, it's the nerdy part of it and it's exactly the same thing with the, the, the cars as well i love all the gadgets in the cars it's brilliant the gadgets have toned down a little bit though they seem a little bit more realistic yeah. now and a little bit more in keeping with technology you know um roger moore having a magnet so powerful it can alter the path of a bullet it got into the realms of silliness there. Something that is interesting is uh, last year I met one of the directors of Uber, the cab company. The Uber app was inspired by James Bond. Wow. Seeing Bond, seeing Bond tracking a vehicle where it was on a screen gave him the idea of, hey, if we could do that and track the vehicle for the person booking the car, that takes away the whole area that everyone hates about booking a cab, which is uncertainty about yeah. what the car is, who's driving it, and when it's coming. That was Q definitely looking into the future there. Yeah. Do you think there's anything in the theory, which I've just made up off the top of my head now, that Bond is Frankenstein's monster, and then Q is Dr. Frankenstein? So he's the person with the brains and the foresight and the ingenuity, and he kits out this monster who's a big lumbering bloke who maybe we agree wouldn't get far without the, you know, scientific tinkering around the edges, the gadgets and that. So Bond is 
what we think of as Frankenstein, but actually Frankenstein's monster. Discuss. I think there's, there's something in that as a, as a simile or metaphor, whatever. But the the Frankenstein in this occasion would be M, and Q would be Igor, and <laughs> Ron would be the monster. <laughs> yeah, because it's M who's sending him to these missions, and it's Q that's making sure he's got everything he needs to get it done. So Q is the one saying, "Hold on, let me just insert a brain." <laughs> yeah, Abby Normal. Yeah, and um, who's Money Penny yeah. then? <sighs> the bride. Bride of Frankenstein, I guess. He, he never gets he never gets off with the bride, does he? I once had an idea for a mashup between James Bond and another great British icon by actually making Q Professor Quatermass. Oh, the good idea. And the idea that Bernard Quatermass, apart from doing all of his rocket science stuff and all the rest of it, is actually the the genius guy who works in Bond, so you could have Bond investigating mysterious alien ships crashing to Earth. It would never work, of course. It would never work. It just but makes... I like the idea. All it's done is made me think, God, I wish they'd bring back Quatermass. I know, don't you? I'm amazed no one's done it yet. I know, when you've done Sherlock and everything, just bring back Quatermass. Maybe it's on Mark Gatiss' to-do list or something. I don't know. Maybe. I hope so. But it, should, it really should come back. Well, when they did that, they did a remake, didn't they? The live version. The remake of the live one with Gatiss in it. Yeah, so. mm. yeah, they definitely should bring it back. I mean, the potential now with CGI and stuff. Yeah. It's a great Quatermass series now. Mm. Are there any moments in Bond, John, when you're sitting <laughs> chuckling away because you know what's really going on or the alternative scene or what was cut well there's a couple of bits there's one that springs to mind where in the living daylights when he's uh, escaping in morocco and going along the rooftops there was originally a scene where it was meant to be like a flying carpet gag he gets a rug and puts it on these aerials uh, on the sorry the uh, phone lines and he surfs down the phone lines on this rug but from a distance it looks like he's on a flying carpet and I always think, thank Christ they cut that out. Because I've seen the shot of Dalton sitting on it and he looks really pissed off. So that's <laughs> funny. And there's also a moment in The Spy Who Loved Me where Bond is following Jaws as Jaws is walking through the pyramids where they didn't get a pickup shot of Roger Moore crouched by this rock watching Jaws walk past. So they had to, they had to paint it. So if you watch The Spy Who Loved Me, there's a scene where he's walking through the pyramids and it's... There's a couple of moments in there. There's one where there's a crowd and they didn't get a crowd shot, so they painted them in. And there's also Roger by a rock, and it's a painting. And once you see it, it's one of those things you just can't unsee it because it's clearly a painting. I mean, they got away with it because for years I didn't notice, and then suddenly I was one day thinking, that is an actual painting. That's not a man. Yeah, I love those bits that you can't unsee. I mean, I mean, the yeah. most famous one, of course, is the, is the stormtrooper banging his head on the door. But yeah. there's, a, there's a lovely one. I have a friend who's there's made a, a whole one. film about that stormtrooper. Yeah, Star Wars. I know. There's a lovely bit in Raiders of the Lost Ark where it's during the the sequence in the market marketplace, and mm. the German car drives off. And yeah. what's the name of the guy who gets the burn on his Ronald, Ronald Lacey. Yeah, there, there's a moment where he obviously wasn't there for the filming that day, and it's so clearly a dummy of him sat in the car as the car sat there. But because yeah. you're you're watching the other actors performing, it's only if you concentrate on Lacey's supposedly Lacey's back of the head, you suddenly realise. That is a dummy. It couldn't be anything else. It looks nothing like him. I it's blame HD. Get away with. HD has brought a lot of these things to the surface, I think. Yeah. And, and on the subject of which, do you think, because I was talking about this last time I watched, I, I watched Spectre just last week. Mm. Do you think that some of the, some of the gloss has been taken off Bond by, by CGI and the fact that it, the big thing about Bond used to be what new stunt are they going to do in this film? You know, how yeah. are they going to flip this car over? Where's he gonna, is he going to jump off a dam? Now that we know that everything is just pixels, has it taken some of the gloss off it? It has a bit. There's a bit in Quantum of Solace where he's in a plane and him and, his, him and the girl he's with have to jump out of the plane 
before it crashes. And it, they've clearly CG'd them in. They've probably filmed them in one of those things where you can pretend to skydive from about five feet off the ground. And they CG'd them in. And it's just really annoying. And there's, a, there's so much of it now. There's a bit in Skyfall where he's there's a motorbike chase and his face has clearly been CGI'd onto the double. But they obviously hadn't quite worked out how to do it properly back then because it doesn't look right. It looks like a floating head. So you, that, that, that's a bit annoying. But then, you know, they do do... There's a good plane sequence inspector, which is... I tweeted about this recently. The only thing missing from it is they didn't use the Bond score. For some reason, these new ones, they don't like using it very much. But yeah, I think to answer your question, I think it has. And certainly with the old ones, the, the, the reason some of them are so memorable is there's some actual death-defying stunts going on in them. Absolutely. And you don't get that anymore. And what is that about the Bond score? Because we love that music, but it's mm. kind of eked out these days. What's going on there? Well, the idea was with Casino Royale, there was a conscious decision not to have it because he'd just been made a double O. So they didn't want to have it every five seconds. So they relied, relied on the theme that David Arnold and uh, Chris Cornell came up with was called You Know My Name. That was the theme of the film. Then Quantum of Solace, I guess you could argue, is a continuation of that. And it only gets used at the end. And then in Skyfall, I think it's used once. Just when twice, he gets, maybe? when he picks up the car. Yeah, that's right. Which and was nice. It was the, nice. Yeah. Even though it doesn't make sense because he's been rebooted, so why would he have that car in his garage? But never mind. And then Inspe- Inspector, I, I can't, I think, again, maybe once or twice. And I don't understand because I edited a video and put it on Twitter quite recently where I'd got a scene from Spectre, the bit where the plane bursts through the farmhouse, and I overlaid the bomb theme on it. And to my mind, and a lot of people agreed on Twitter, it just elevated it tenfold. It just made it more exciting instead of nothing. They, they had literally no sound on that scene just the plane but bursting through yes the whole franchise is built on that i mean you go from the ridiculous successes of dr no where they play the theme every time he gets up or goes to the toilet or walks out of a room but then they save it they build it up and it's part of the you've got this trigger in you your adrenaline will fly when you hear a theme like when superman takes off and you hear the superman theme you know when the star wars theme bursts on at the beginning of the film and when james bond does something bondy and they hear the james bond theme it makes you want to go yes and to remove that just feels really sort of self-destructive in terms of what you're trying to do as a film. I don't understand it. I'd love someone from the production company to explain to me why they don't use it anymore. I can, As I say, I can make a case for the first couple, but I can't for the last couple, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm not a great fan of the, of the term cult because it's got quite negative connotations. But, mm. you know, talking about the serious fan base here, what, what, I mean, during the course of this conversation, we talked about Quatermass, we talked about Doctor Who, we've yeah. talked about Bond, we've talked about long-running franchises which have hundreds of thousands of fans and, the, and part of the reason that those franchises have survived for so long is because they've got certain selling points there's certain things about them certain iconic characters iconic props you know music all those sorts of things that actually mm. are identifiers for those particular products and, and the minute you take them away yeah it, it's a different product i remember someone saying to me not so long ago they watched quantum of solace and they said well it was it was jason Bourne with a british accent yeah, I mean, I kind of got what they were saying. They hired the same team from the Bourne films to do all the second unit stuff in Quantum of Solace, so it's very shaky cam. It looks like a Bourne film, and it just doesn't work yeah. for me. We mentioned the stormtrooper, the stormtrooper banging his head. So Jamie Stangrum has made a documentary in search of that stormtrooper because there are a number of people who were said to be the one or claimed to be the one. He's tracked down yeah. the one, and I think it's called The Empire Strikes Door. Oh. Nice. Anyway, so <laughs> if if you Good Google title. Jamie Stangrum, S-T-A-N-G-R-O-O-M, you'll pick that up. He's a good one. 
we had a question from last week. We're going to need a question from you, John, for listeners. But to give you a little bit of a chance to think of one, we had a question last week, Steve. Yes, yes, from Mary Jane Baker. We were discussing comedy and romantic comedy in particular, and Sue Clark as well, of course. Mary Jane's question was, who was the fifth Marx brother? And there's a little bit of contention here. There is. We have a number of answers from people. If we're talking about biological brothers, then, I mean, the ones who appeared on film were Groucho, Chico, Harpo and Zeppo. And they had one other brother who was known as Gummo, who never appeared in the films. So he is the fifth Marx brother biologically. And his but name was Milton. Milton, that's right. Yeah. Milton Marx. Yeah. The Marx brothers wouldn't have been so popular if they'd been called Julius, Leonard, Arthur, Milton and Herbert, would they? Yeah. But, uh... Now, we had a listener, Janice, saying Daisy Juliet Baker. And you see why Mary Jane Baker would have set the question now. Daisy Juliet Baker, okay. who went by the stage name of Margaret Dumont, she said she was, in fact, the Marx brother in question, as described by Groucho, apparently described her as that himself. But then Mark Vent is saying it was Milton Marks Gummo. They're both kind of right. I mean, yeah, Dumont, I said Groucho did call her the fifth Marx brother because she was she appeared in pretty much all of their films and contributed a great deal to the comedy. She was like their straight guy, if you like, and she was as much a part of their success. Well, we could always ask Mary Jane Baker what, what the right answer is, or we could just decide they're both right and give them both a prize. Or... You could read her book, A Question of Us, because at the very end of the book, it's the pub quiz question that settles, that basically fixes the romance Ooh. at the end. Read the book, you'll find out what answer they agreed on. Yes, so if you want to know the answer to this question, read Mary Jane Baker's book, A Question of Us, and all will be revealed. John, over to you. Right, I have a question. There are three films that feature two Bonds. Can you name them? Three films that have two actors who have played James Bond in them. That's a great question. Fantastic. As usual, get in contact with us. The three films that feature two Bonds. That's an excellent question. It's our best question for a while, I think. Superb. It's it's our second Bond-based question, though. Some time ago, we had a question about James Bond's DB5, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we about did. About the car and all the features that are on the original Dinky toy. This is probably the best question since then. Wow, I'm honoured. <laughs> <laughs> that was Joel Morris. Ah, there you go. Yes, it was, wasn't it? It was Joel, yes, yeah. This is shameless crawling to another podcast person. Oh, my, he's just held up <laughs> a Bond car on screen. Well, Joel gave me this for my birthday. It's an Aston Martin Volante from The Living Daylights, so... Oh, he likes wow. his Bond cars. He does. Tell us a little bit more about your book. Well, it's called Thunderbook, The World of Bond According to Smashpod, and it's 24 chapters, so it's uh, each chapter dealing with a different film. And as uh, Stephen mentioned, it's just going through them as an essay. Forensic, I suppose you'd call it, or frenzied, maybe. came out in November, and um, hopefully... Well, what the plan was to bring out a second edition later this year, probably around now, after we'd seen No Time to Die, so we could put in a 25th chapter. But obviously, that plan's gone out the window, so that'll have to wait till next year now. Oh, we never did um, hear what you were going to do after you'd written about the Bond, each Bond film twice. Yes, well, I am actually at the moment writing a, another book. I'm writing one about 80s action movies in much the same style as Thunderbook, but just picking 20 
action movies because the third series of my podcast was about 80s action films. So I'm doing that presently. In terms of the podcast, when I finish Bond, I don't know. I haven't thought about this. I had a rough thought of doing something like a, a season of sci-fi or a season of horror or something. We're coming up to the end of this episode of Weed Like a Word with John Rain of Smirshpod and Thunderbook. Hugely enjoyable. Thank Hugely you very enjoyable. much, guys. Would you have one more wee funny thing? Do I have one more wee funny thing? Yeah. This feels like a medical check. I know, I know. Um, I've got one. One of the Bond girls from You Only Live Twice was later in Space 1999. But during You Only Live Twice, she was pregnant. And the baby she had later turned out to be the lead singer of the indie band Lush. That's a good fact. Mickey from Lush, as she mentioned on Twitter, is technically a Bond girl. Uh, she was in to live twice. And so which Bond is her father? Uh, <laughs> well, it'd be Sean, wouldn't it? Well, on that note, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for being with us, John Rain. You've been listening to Weed Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. Until next time, bye! I didn't even get to mention my third nipple. <laughs> That was the thing that really bugged me about the man with the golden gun, because <laughs> I've had, had this third nipple all my life, and when the man with the golden gun came out, and he saw Roger Moore with it stuck in the middle of his chest, which is impossible, I just, I, I, I was fuming, I was fuming. I wanted to write a letter to the producers and say, you can't have a third nipple there, it's got to follow the milk line, it's got to go down in a row below the normal nipple. I felt like, like a villain, like Christopher Lee, because I wasn't, I wasn't a mutant anymore, I had to be, just because I had three nipples, so there you go. On that note, we really have ended. Until the next time, you've been listening to We'd Like a Word. 